<clears throat> oh god, my stomach's making so many noise. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and joining me tonight is... I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. Tonight we are talking about the 2021 uh, new sci-fi movie, uh, if you want to call it that, uh, Chaos Walking. Chaos Walking was directed by Doug Lemon, or Lee-Man, or Lemon. We're going to talk about it, Doug, and we're going to tell you what we think about it. Um, I like I like Lime Man. Yes. <laughs> Lime Man. Uh, this is based on The Knife of Never Letting Go. It's a book. Yes. Yes, it is. It is, in fact, a novel. Um, the movie is starring Daisy Ridley, Tom Holland, Mads Mikkelsen, Damien Bachir, Cynthia Erivo, Nick Jonas, which <laughs> we'll get into that later, and uh, David Ayelowo. Oyelowo. Oyelowo. Which, honestly, anytime he shows up, I'm just jazzed about it, so it's fine. Um, he was great. Yeah, we're going to get into it. We really are. Uh, the budget was $100 million. Dollars. Wow. Did it bust the box office? So, oh boy, did it bust the box office. So here's the thing. We normally do the box office, but during COVID, I I feel like that's not yeah. fair. It's not a yeah. fair judge of a movie. It definitely isn't. Especially one as new as this. Uh, I will say that being at $6.4 million thus far is an achievement. Damn, that sucks. <laughs> $6.4 million out of $100 million. I'm going to say that's an yeah. achievement. I don't think anyone who releases at this point expects to make their money back in the box office. No, that's why they're all going to like HBO and Netflix mm -hmm. and yeah. For sure. But I still think that's a pretty decent income thus far. I mean, yeah, to get six point, it came out Friday. So to get $6.5 million since Friday in, in the pandemic, you know. Yeah, it doesn't make its money back, but that's still impressive. Like, that still means people are going to see it. Is this going to be a financial failure? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm excited that they at least have sold that many tickets thus far. I'm glad they went ahead and released it anyway, you know? They could have just... I mean, it's best It's best to just rip the Band-Aid off at this point. I don't think yeah. they expected too much right. from it anyway. Like, is Dune going to come out this year? No. No, it will. It's December. At that point, everyone will be vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. No, every, every, I'll tell you what, man. I'm going regardless. I'm taking my mask off at the end of summer. We're done. I'm done playing games. <laughs> oh, no. It's over. No, he's lying. He's not going to do that. <laughs> yes, I am. Everyone will have been vaccinated by that point. If you aren't vaccinated by the end of summer, it's your choice, and I don't care. Uh, let's just take this moment to say that coronavirus is going to be around for a few years still. Yep. And the vaccine does its job. But um, I, things will be better. Absolutely. By this time, by the time 
Dune comes out, yes, I think we can safely be in a situation without masks. I agree. That's what I'm saying. Coronavirus is just going to be a new cold that just floats around all the time. Yeah, well, we're going to have well, a few no. We're going to have a few years of boosters and I think we're going to kick it officially, but it, um it'll, it'll be the equivalent of SARS. Like there's that Scrubs episode where like every time someone mentions SARS, you have to quarantine the whole hospital and it's like he's like, "Hmm, have you been to China?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, could be SARS. Isn't coronavirus technically a variant of yes. SARS anyways? SARS SARS is a right. coronavirus. Okay, there it is. COVID-19 okay. is a coronavirus. All right, so th there is a correlation there. Got it. All right. Anyway. To continue along this point, uh, Ben, mm. <laughs> what is this movie about? Hmm. Oh, um, I, I did my best. It's, okay. it's not like it's hard or complicated. I just like found it. It's difficult to decide who I focus on, so I just made a choice. Well, no, but you, right, want, to make it, you want to make it good. That's the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. yeah. A woman crashes on a world where men's thoughts are projected to everyone around them with no filter. <laughs> Together with a boy who rescued her from the local maniacal mayor, Viola seeks refuge and the necessary equipment to contact her ship before she is caught by her pursuers. They're chaos walking! Ooh. I just I just saw far branch and I thought it said fart branch. <laughs> <laughs> so you see, I decided in my little synopsis here to make the put the focus on Viola, which I think probably should have been the case in the movie as well. Yep. Um, <laughs> my my first biggest critique of the movie. That's I, you know, like that's all. I don't want to say more than I have to oh, say. Okay. One hundred percent. Fair. Yeah. Right off the bat, they don't feed us a ton of exposition. Like I'm talking on the front, where it's like epic music playing, where there are text on the screen, and they're letting you know everything that has happened up until this point. Mm-hmm. Which we know why that happens because Hollywood doesn't trust the viewer to just kind of piece together what is happening. Uh, so I'm grateful they didn't do that. At the same time, some things were a little too heavy handed in terms of trying to bring that plot home. <clears throat> I don't know. In, in terms of exposizing, you mean? Yes, exposition. Um, yeah, I mean, there were points that were definitely made where it's like, uh, okay, Mads, you got to get this line right. Otherwise, people aren't going to know what's going on. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, it does a good job of just dropping us in the middle of things, which I, I love in a film. Uh, but you're absolutely right that when it does try to start catching you up, it's a little sloppy. Uh, it stumbles here and there. Well, I was hoping that they would give you a point in the movie where you're okay with Mads Mikkelsen. At no point, except for like maybe five seconds, is that a thing. For the most part, you know that Mads Mikkelsen is a baddie. I don't think that's entirely fair because there's no way to frame a politician as a good person <laughs> in this day good and point. age. Good point. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I I I distrust anyone who's like like in in the boys. Spoilers for the boys season two. Sorry if if wait yeah. have you two seen it? Absolutely not. 
Okay, then I okay. won't say it. Uh, never mind. But those of you who have seen the boys when I talk about politicians, you know what I'm talking about at this point. So, um, yeah, that's I think that's a fair critique. But at the same time, there's not much they could have done to make you like him ever. So here's the thing. plus he's Mads Mickelson. I don't think Mads Mickelson has ever been a likable character. I mean, we're going to get into what we consider a politician and what we consider just the leader. Sure. Um, I mean, he's a mayor, so. Well, that's just he, a title. He ran for office. Uh, sure, he ran. <laughs> if, you, if you think Mads Mikkelsen's character ran for office, raise your fucking hand. <laughs> Don't think so. Uh, I know this is an audio <laughs> medium. Nobody raised their hand, by the way. Um, no, I... I just think that I loved Mads Mikkelsen's character. I thought he was great. I thought he had a great presence on screen. Mads Mikkelsen at this point is probably one of the better actors, I think, internationally in in the genre. Or not genre, but you know what I mean. Yeah. In yeah. film. Um, and television. He's been and, in television. Yeah, and television. Yeah, he is. And... Honestly, I just think that they could have used him better. I love that kind of character that you start off to like love. You're all about this character. And then you find out that he's a bit of a dickhead. With Mads Mikkelsen, right away, I fucking knew that this guy was the baddie of the film. You know, it's a weird situation because the... So for those who are at home who haven't seen it, I assume many of you, I assume this is a movie where it's like, ah, listen to the podcast. I don't care about spoilers. Um... You know, we all get those. And uh, so basically, the, we're, we're introduced to this mayor who is uh, in charge of this town where it's all men. No one knows where the women are. And where da when Daisy Ridley shows up, we find out that this uh, alien race or native species actually to the planet called the Spackle had invaded and killed all the women because they don't have noise. They can't. Their thoughts are not known to everyone else. So the Spackle came in and they killed everyone and they left. And they left all the men alone. And right off the bat, the problem is that that story is so obviously false. Like, there's no matter whether you like Mads Mikkelsen or not, the story is so blatantly untrue that they don't. I'm surprised they went on to like try and like hide it. Like, it should have been. It shouldn't have. And it, and it kind of was, it ended up, I should say, I'm stumbling, excuse me, pull back. It ended up a situation where the audience was in on it and Todd Hewitt, Tom Holland's character, was not. Uh, a, a situation of situational irony. However, that was not the movie's intention. And as a result, it appears sloppy and it leaves you wanting more in character development for Mads Mikkelsen in this case. You want you want to have that oof moment. What the movie should have done was recognize that there's no situation where the story is believable and have told us straight up, the audience, what happened. Maybe open up with a, with a scene of the past where Mads Mikkelsen's killing Tom Holland's mom. Just do it, and then, um, and then we are with Todd. We are watching Todd. We're rooting him on as he's trying to get to the point, 
And that, I think, would have been a more entertaining concept throughout because they're trying to pull a fast one, but their basis isn't believable enough to do so. That's that's a... And uh, I don't mean to show my hand, but like I feel like that's a lot of this film is a lot of stuff is like, okay, that's cool that you did that. And I guess it adds something to the story, but at the same time, the basis of it isn't that believable. Like there's a lot of points where I'm just like, uh, it doesn't seem believable. Um, I feel like there was one specific point. Um, and this is jumping straight to the end of the movie. Can I, can I just go that? Well, okay. So Mads. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, um, what is his name? Uh, Prentice, um, was standing there. Mads Mikkelsen was Prent was standing there. Um, and, and Tom Holland or, uh, Todd was using his noise to, you know, conjure up, you know, images of the women that were killed in town. And Mads was like pointing his gun, like, like, freaking out and i'm like thinking to myself like this this is a man who's had years and years and years of experience dealing with noise and did see him it's very weird that mads or prentice was stumbling backwards at the noise even though he knew that there was a drop behind him it just took me out of the moment it took me out of the moment. It, it kind of felt forced into there. Like we need this to happen, but it's not a, a believable basis for the action to happen. I agree entirely. In fact, I think once again, it comes down to there was a better way to do that, which is he, first of all, Prentice is not a man who is regret, who has regrets about what he did. He wouldn't be like bumbling about that. He would see it. And go, <laughs> wow, yeah, these are these are good. He's like, you could have actually been something, little Todd Hewitt, and the and like you know, give him some give some uh, some alley oop line to Daisy Ridley's character Viola about like, oh, you know, you, you know, uh, don't worry, you won't see it coming, and she's like, you won't see this coming, and jumps through the illusions and pushes him into the hole. That would have been an interesting that way. And then that way it gives her a little bit more than just stumbling to his death or Doug something Lehman like that. Furiously okay, so scratches into a notebook. Like, wait, what'd you say? What is Doug gonna, say? What? <laughs> so I'm going to pull us just uh, out to left field here for a second. Um, so we're going to go over to the preacher real quick. Yeah. My favorite. I, 100%. He was, I was riveted to the screen every time he showed up um partly due to the actor i think being stellar but also because the character just blew my mind um he at the end when he was attacking um viola what's her name viola. Disney character viola he was basically saying that he regrets what he did right yeah yes. oh, amazing. he was saying he was saying uh what is it Fuck. Something about it was powerful. Baptizing fire or something like that. I'm, um He he was asking to be uh cleansed of his sins. Oh, he was saying with all the noise he can't hear God's voice or something. Like was, oh. he, he he thought he thought the noise was the voice, voice of, God of God, but he was point. wrong. Yeah. That was crazy to me. Like I thought it was just gonna be like, Oh, the preacher's fucking crazy, you gotta kill him. That was like But I think that to me was what all the men felt of that community was they were wrong. They knew they were wrong, but they weren't really, 
they weren't willing to make amends for it. They wanted to bury that. Well, and that comes down to uh, the illustration. The preach Aaron is the coolest character in the movie, and he is the sole reason that I enjoyed the movie so much. Yeah, he he is a bad dude, and no point is, sh- is should it ever be said where it's like, oh, he's he's a great guy. Like, no, he's a bad fucking dude, uh, and it's he's is portrayed terrifyingly by David. Um, help me, uh, da- <laughs> David Oyelowo. Um, and, uh, what also helps a lot is the effects with his noise and how it's so loud and so eminent around everyone. Um, I, I thought it was interesting and it, what didn't click for me until what you just said, Colin, where you mentioned that everyone else was, was ashamed, but they, they, they weren't to his level yet. And I like the thought that, uh, like going, going through it. He, his past helped me. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as I speak, so won't give me a moment. And he, you know, he thought the noise was the voice of God, and he didn't, he didn't understand it. So now he embraces this noise not as the voice of God, but he shouts it loudly so that he can understand what is happening. He can hear what it is, and all the rest of these people have kept it pushed down, kept yeah. it quieter. Yep trying to keep it bottled up because of their shame, whereas he takes the opposite route in his shame. He shouts it to the world. He doesn't so hide every- anything. It's he wants, all out there. He wants everyone yeah. to know never the horrible quiet, thing Never he quiet did. your voice. You know, mm-hmm. Never try to hide your, your voice. Never hide, try to hide your thoughts. So, yeah. And, and this is where I found that I actually enjoyed the film more than I think you two did because I enjoy that concept of... Uh, of masculinity in like don't be afraid to speak who you are is really what it comes down to don't be afraid to own what you've done is another but, thing but, it's all sorts of, of of you know people always tell todd quiet your noise quiet your noise quiet your noise well, he always tells himself that as well that it's because it's, he was raised that way yeah it's the whole con i'm sorry i don't want to cut you off but i think honestly that's okay i think that is the thesis of this movie is the concept of masculinity and being a man and squashing those emotions and not expressing yourself in any sort of way. Um, right. So Aaron, <sighs> sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like, for me, it's weird to watch these kind of things because I was very fortunate with my upbringing to like, there was never the, the concept of be a man, you know? So I never had to struggle with, uh, suppressing my emotions to be more manly in any sort of way like i never i never had that difficulty uh but i understand that that is a very common thing for most men to have the the way they were brought up to have to deal with so uh it's just interesting to interesting to see that and i kind of hope that more movies and more (laughs) more things focus on this is we need to we need to focus on this is how masculinity is portrayed and how flawed it is really. But sorry, go ahead. I, I absolutely. And I was just going to mention also the, the, the fact that Aaron's noise is so loud. Well, that's, that's it's symbolic of him wearing his pain on his sleeve. It's him, you know, telling the world, the men aren't, the others aren't listening to him. Uh, they very actively ignore him. They, he scares them as he, sh- as they should. He's a terrifying person. 
but they're not listening to what he's what his noise is. And I'm sure if you go back and watch it again, which I don't really feel like doing, but no. if you go back and watch it again, I'm sure you would see that a lot of his noise probably gets to the point a lot more than we thought it did if you really listen closely because it's very chaotic when he's when he's on screen. He, there's like he has like five different thoughts going on at once sometimes and uh so it's tough to decipher what's going on but i'm sure is if you if you listen to it and you break it down you could hear his pain being screamed from his head you know well it's also i mean all of that was amazing that kind of put the whole movie into a different perspective for me you guys talking about that because there's a lot of like what we call toxic masculinity these days where it was where it is like the suppress and conquer sort of thing and um and uh, and then to try to put masculinity into a positive light, which is you know honesty, integrity, you know strength in owning the things that you do, um, and then seeing Aaron kind of do that flip where you don't realize you think that he's like you know he talks of the angel and you're like wondering like what does he mean by angel but he's trying to kill her and then he's just you know at the end you realize she's his redemption in his mind that she, that he is able to, you know, not, he's able to be baptized of his sins of killing all these women or inciting the, um, you know, murder of all these women. Um, And it's like really, really interesting to see that um, and to think of something as positive masculinity, you know, to kind of bring up the concept of, Todd goes through the struggle of hide what you feel, hide what you feel, hide what you feel. And then, you know, we find out, you know, the true strength was, you know, you don't hide, he doesn't hide the grief that he has for his dog. You know, he decides to accept it and show it to, you know, this, this, you know, to Viola and like letting someone in, in that way. And it's like, he, his whole concept was, in order to, you know, and, and, you know, in the end to attract Viola, he wanted to suppress and be the man. And then he realized that, no, nah, he didn't realize, but it wound up being that the thing that might connect them or give them a connection is actually showing vulnerability. So, you know, that kind of put a whole new spin on this movie for me just now. Okay, so I appreciate that. <laughs> For sure, I'm surprised you didn't pick it up. Honestly, I, I I felt like it was very overt. I was I, I'm not like like dissing you or anything no, for not getting it. I was just I'm just surprised. No, I, I went I went into I honestly I'm gonna be honest. I went into this film with a lot of baggage, expecting it to be terrible. So I didn't really pick up. On oh, a lot so, of well, stuff. so did I. But um, I guess I was just fortunate enough to pick up on yeah certain aspects. But um, oh, fuck. So <laughs> one of the things I love about this movie is I will say that um, we are all very aware of toxic masculinity. Um, We are aware of its effects on society. And that's a lot of things that um, is paid attention to. Something that I wish was paid more attention to is the effects of toxic masculinity on masculinity in general and on the the, the concept of being a man and everything. That's something this movie... um, didn't do a great job of, but at least they, they focused on it. They hinted on it is the concept of, you know, oh, what is his name? Which one? 
Yeah, the guy that says his name every five seconds. Todd Hewitt. Todd Hewitt. <laughs> Todd Hewitt. Um, Todd Hewitt is so worried about being a man because of the society that he was brought up in. Um, but also, if you look at who, uh, who his his parents were, the the men that raised him, that's something they're not worried on, worried about. But um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you're brought up by you're still a product of your society that you live in, which I think is huge. I, I absolutely get that. Like, you can be raised by two of the gentlest and most open souls there are, and yet still, if everyone else around you, the moment you leave that house is tearing you down, it doesn't make a difference. By the way, Ben, do you know who played Killian? Killian? Yeah. Which? Oh, he was, uh... It's fucking Kurt He was the one who died, right? That's Kurt Sutter! Oh my god! It's Kurt Sutter! I thought he looked familiar. I was yes. like, that guy looks so familiar. That's wild. That's Kurt Sutter, man. I'm Kurt. I actually think I saw uh, Lincoln March in the movie as well. And I'm going to double check that now because I just remembered it. Uh, he played... It was the guy who was like telling him that he gets the rope. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. For um, yep, that was that was Lincoln March for yep. the um, yeah. or Lincoln Potter, excuse for me. the. <laughs> I know who you guys are talking about, but for the audience that doesn't know, can you explain who Kurt Sutter? Kurt Sutter is the creator of Sons of Anarchy, and the co-creator of Mayans. And Ray McKinnon is plays Lincoln Potter in Sons of Anarchy and Mayans. Uh, you should watch them both. Uh, they're very, 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 very good. Especially Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy is on like my top five most perfectly crafted television shows of all time. Um, this is also right up Kurt Setter's uh, alley, because I mean Hamlet has to do with masculinity in so many ways. And yeah, absolutely. Dealing with the sins of the father and all of that. So yeah, when I, when I saw who- that, I was like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> For those who don't know, uh, Sons of Anarchy is a modern retelling of Hamlet within the frame of a motorcycle club in Southern California, or Northern California, I believe there, actually. And uh, it's a lot about masculinity and fatherhood and who who we are and who we want our sons to be is a really big theme um it's really it's a powerful show bill i'm surprised you i was about to say i guess I'm, I'm gonna go put it on the tv oh, right bill, now it's, it's 100 up here Alex. yeah it's i'm sure it's it's dark and it's hard to binge but it's very good yeah like it's harder than breaking bad to binge and breaking bad is pretty rough sometimes so there's a there's a rule I'm gonna give you now, just so you're aware. Uh, anytime something good happens in Sons of Anarchy, something ten times worse is about to follow. Okay. So. Well, well, that's that's the. Uh, we're getting off topic here, but that's the concept <laughs> behind of how um, Shakespeare wrote his plays. Is you have yeah comedy followed by drama. Like that's mm-hmm. just how it works. Or I'm sorry, tragedy. Comedy followed by tragedy. That's how it works, and. Sons of Anarchy is no exception. Like, and speaking of getting us back on topic of comedy followed by tragedy, poor fucking Todd Hewitt, man, he does not catch a fucking break throughout this. It's it's hard. Like, it really, really is. Cause like, so they kill one of his fathers, and I'm like, okay, well, at least he's got Viola. At least he's got the horse. You know, it's gonna be okay. 
Oh, horse breaks a leg. He's got to slit the horse's oh, throat. Oh, I fucking forgot about the fucking horse. Yeah. I was like, oh man, what a what a fucking like, what a fucking horrifying baptism and violence for this for this kid in what is sure going to be a, a a hard journey. But this is what he needs to do in order to make the hard journey. This is the worst thing that's gonna come of it. All good. And then Aaron drowns the fucking dog, and I couldn't believe it i was like how how you can't do that in hollywood that you was can't. a powerful fucking scene though holy shit because you're was... so worried about you're so you're so worried about viola and you're so worried about tom holland i'm sorry what's his name uh, todd hewitt todd hewitt i'll never remember that um he you're so worried so about much. them and then the fucking dog gets killed i was like what the Fuck! I wanted to scream, but I couldn't because we're in a movie theater, it, and I'm a respectful person. It does a great job at taking Aaron as this character who is like questionable. You're like, oh, maybe he's gonna save the day at the end, and then he drowns the dog, and you're like, oh, he's not gonna save this fucking day. <laughs> at the no end. fucking point did I think that preacher was gonna save <laughs> the true. day. Yeah, I never. Thought I thought that. it was gonna be a situation. No I thought it was gonna be a he he knows more than than he's letting on situation. Did I you thought it was see that man's noise. It was fucking fire. It was Literally, fire. It was You're fire. absolutely right. Yeah, that You're that dude had to be killed. I consider him a religious extremist in so many yeah. ways. Absolutely, um, he he's definitely represents the religious zealotry side of toxic masculinity. He absolutely does. It's funny because, like, while we talk about Aaron's pain and how he shouts it to the world, it's like that's still not a badge. Like he go, he take, he overcorrects. He ex he takes the other extreme. He doesn't, you know, he wallows in his self pity and he lets everyone around, tears everyone else around him down. Like it, it, it seems to be to me that the noise affected others sometimes as well. Um, you get points like, you know, Prentice mentions that Aaron is is scaring everyone. Um, you also get a point where you could see Prentice um, doing his mantra, which keeps his noise quiet. And I forget what it is. It's like, I am the circle. The circle yeah, is yep. me or something like yeah, that. I, which is basically, I am the circle. Is and, and you could hear as people were passing him, they kind of took it on as well. So... Um, it's interesting that that you know the noise can spread, you know the 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 toxicity can spread in a society like that. Oh God, I said society. Uh. No, or God. Well, we do live in a society. Memes cannot ruin how you speak. <laughs> Stop it. Um, so, uh, no, the noise represents. I uh, I hate to say the aura, but like just the effect that people have on others. Sure. Yeah. Um. The way that the mayor, the way that Mads Mikkelsen, I don't even know what his character's name is. We're just going to call him Mads. Prentice. Prentice, thank David you. David Prentice. The way that Mads Mikkelsen projects, it's not about like the noise. He, just by his presence, affects the other men around him like that. They just fall into line. And in a lot of ways, that's how masculinity works. He's perceived yeah. as the strongest and they just fall in line. It's, it's how it works on young boys as well. I mean, you look yeah. at Todd Hewitt, you look at Nick Jonas. <laughs> so Whoever, uh, Nick uh, Jonas is the one character that just... But even know, still... All the characters were important to this movie except for Nick Jonas' character. He is, he is, 
<laughs> David Prentice Jr. or Davy. No. Uh, you look at at Davy even still. Like you look at these these him and he and Todd. Davy and Todd are the only two children really um, in the town. It seemed, and uh, so it's interesting to see how they look at the mayor. And never once is friendship an option for them because it's always a competition for who gets Prentice's approval. Yes. Um, you know, so it's you know these are two, two guys who could be friends, who could be you know they they are literally the only two in their age group in this town, and they are driven to hate each other because of this guy because of Prentice and his his uh negative rewarding. That's, I mean, that's also, I mean, that's, (laughs) I know we keep coming back to it, but that's also like creating a competition for your attention, you know, is kind of a toxic thing that men do. Well, yeah. So like while this film, don't get me wrong, because Bill, you, you, I believe used the word vapid at the end of the movie. (laughs) Vapid, but okay. Vapid, whatever. Uh, I've, I don't, don't get me wrong. The movie is far from perfect in any way, but I think it, it tries its best at a lot of strong themes that most of Hollywood isn't touching right now because, and I don't say this disrespectfully, but there are, there are more important things going on in more important movements going on right now in to, to bring attention to, uh, you know, I don't want to say masculinity and how we address it isn't important, but you know, things like race, things like, um, you know, gender inequality, gender rights, things like that. You know, those are obviously taking the lead, but it's important to remember that there's still other stuff going. You know, it's like, you know, I, to me, when I think about this kind of stuff, toxic masculinity is kind of like the war at home. You know, like we're we're fighting for a whole bunch on the front, we're fighting for for a whole bunch in the capital, and yet we are very conveniently forgetting some of the things behind the lines right now. That I'm so I'm glad to see chaos walking take that step and, and well, face it. Well, I mean, it would, well, that's the it thing. would definitely be at the oh, forefront if this was released in, say, 2019. <laughs> well, so one of the things I have to say is there does need to be a certain amount of priority when it comes to championing a cause and trying to bring, bring something to the forefront. At the same time, though, as long as someone is having a positive contribution and you're trying to do something, you know, that's like, that's one of my uh, biggest, I would say, critiques of our modern society is every time someone does something, someone else goes, well, if that's important, what about all this stuff? Why don't yeah, you care yeah, about yeah. this stuff? And it's like, nobody, no human being has the time or the inclination to worry about everything. It will literally fucking kill them. But what you can do is champion champion something and try to improve our world in some sort of way and i will say that i do salute this movie in the fact that they are focusing so heavily on a topic like masculinity and in a positive way um now if like 10 more movies come out about (laughs) toxic masculinity and its effect on our society i'll be a little concerned but one movie is fine with me I think it's important. I'm glad that it happened. I think the last thing that I wanted to talk about, too, is is something that we haven't talked about yet because, you know, men are prominent in this film, um, but it's also the effect that this toxic masculinity has on Viola as well. Um, 
moments that are, you know, uh, laughable. They, there's some there's some funny moments in here with uh, Todd Hewitt, and thankfully it never gets gross. It's just like these surface thoughts in his head, and I thought that was that was fine. Uh, it was never anything bad or terrible. There's like this moment where for those for listeners at home, uh, he is imagining after this heart to heart that she kisses him. And it illust- it's illustrated in his noise, and she sees it, and she goes, what are you doing? <laughs> and I thought that was a funny scene. Yeah. Um, but I think that was also a really important scene as well, because and, – and and this is where the movie starts to fall apart a little bit on its ground, because, you know, I, I get that, like, this is – she's basically his sexual awakening, per se, I guess. But um, no, I guess not. Anyway. My point is that scene was great because he doesn't have any other understanding of how a, a simple heart to heart with another person would end. You know, there's never any any indication that there is a romantic situation between the two. Right. It's they have a they have a moment where it is two people talking and being real with one another and he he shifts it to romance and she catches him. Um, and he's obviously Todd Hewitt is a good guy. He is not going to act on it in any way. They're just thoughts. But I think that's an idea, right? Like the, this, uh, this thought that you know, kindness. You know, we've I'm sure we've talked about it before on this cast. Even kindness from women uh, deserves to be rewarded in sexual favors is something that the nice guy syndrome, as we've talked about, is something that a lot of guys have in their head. And Todd Hewitt, as I've said before, is not that guy. He is just horny. <laughs> but <laughs> that's funny. Well, but he just doesn't it, understand how the, he doesn't. Right? He he doesn't get it. He's just he's literally he 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 seen the the first girl of his life. He's always been like, man, all these guys around here, I'm not really into this. Uh, God, how do I tell them I'm not gay? Oh God. And then this girl shows up, and you're like, "Oh, oh, I get it. I know what's what I am right now." <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> I I mean that's that's a really good point, the nice guy syndrome, because I mean that's that's such a. I feel like that. I mean, it's it's kind of like a result of like, well, the fact that this was based off of, off of a young adult novel, sci-fi novel, mm-hmm. kind oh, of. Oh, it like, was a young adult novel. Yes. Yeah, you didn't yeah. know that. Sorry. So it was. I knew it was a novel. I just didn't know it was young adult. That's interesting. Very much that vein, you know, like the sort of <clears throat> like will they or won't they? So like, but the will they that or won't they is really obvious because Daisy Ridley is obviously not very interested in that way, or Viola is not interested in that way, at least on a surface level or an immediate level. So it's like, so like, yeah. So I mean, that's I feel like that's kind of a a symptom of the genre. In a lot of ways, and thank God, a movie where that ends that Daisy Ridley doesn't kiss the yes. dude. Oh. Thank God. Yes, yeah. I was so happy. When, I was like, when Don't it kiss. ended that way, I was like, that is the best way they could have possibly fucking ended that scene. Oh yeah, that movie. I appreciate. Oh yeah. It. So it's you know it's it's the point where it's like like. You know, I've seen online people being like, well, they, they could go on to kiss. I'm like, yeah, they absolutely fucking could. They, they could develop a relationship, but not there, or, not then, not at that point. Or even like she could just come out as a fucking lesbian and right. you'd never know. That scene For was the- so perfectly shot that it was just like, 
that's not a thing. They could just right go now. on to Let's be lifelong. On. They could go on to be lifelong yeah. friends, yep. and they will always share a very close bond together. That you know, They've that's already, just the way it is. It's at this point you understand that they are friends. She cares mm-hmm. about him. He cares about her. Right. That's enough for me. Move on. Movie's Absolutely. over. Absolutely, it was great. I agree. Plus, it's really hard for me. I don't know personally, just as a a straight male, uh, to see. Um, I guess I would say cisgender, but anyway, uh, I don't find Daisy Ridley that sexy. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, she's a pretty woman. She is. She's nice, but I never got the sort of like. I, there's no mystique there. There's nothing interesting there. So um, it's kind of I, like. Well, the 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 difference is though that um tom holland's character yes still forget his name yes. todd has never todd todd it's todd, todd it's, he is todd ne- hewitt he is todd hewitt he is todd hewitt is that nick jonas though uh has todd ever seen a woman before no right no right so it's kind of like an indication of like dude are you serious like like <laughs> furthermore it is personal preference, Bill, because I think Daisy Ridley is a stunning uh, queen of all that is good. Yeah, no, she is. She she she's a nice lady. I'm just just not my. You know, it's like you can say somebody's objectively attractive. You just don't want to like. You just say like, but I'm, it's not my bag. You know. So you're saying that if they if they kissed, you would have been like, this isn't believable because I don't think she's attractive. No, no, I could see that. I could see that. It. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not sure what you're saying. Yeah, but they're both English, so they're attracted to each other, right? Listen, I just wanted to say that Daisy Ridley's not that attractive to me. That's all I wanted to say. Also, so I'm now convinced that Daisy Ridley just cannot do an accent other than Daisy Ridley's accent. Yes. Because if you look at the same thing in Star Wars... <laughs> I mean, she's British. Her, her well, No, but here's the thing. Is Tom Holland also British? Got to use a uh, American accent. Oh, you're, also, you're if saying you look at Star Wars, John Boyega got to use an American accent. I think so Daisy Ridley just can't do anything <laughs> but a British accent. Daisy Ridley tried. She tried real hard. Because her male counterparts always get to do American accents. She comes in. She's like, she's like, I. I'm gonna try this here American accent. Like Daisy, stop. It's like Daisy, nope. Stop, <laughs> Hello there. I love bagels and coffee. <laughs> Yum. I like, We're going I like to that. Times Square now. I like that headcanon. <laughs> I'm going gonna, gonna to ask her one day. No, well, I'm when, just, we're, when we're good enough to do interviews, we'll yeah, ask her. I'm just accepting that accent. she cannot do an accent other than See, her British accent. For, so. for Star Wars, I thought it was just like a moment of intrigue because only bad guys have British accents. So I was just like, well, yeah, she since she is the granddaughter of Palpatine, exactly. so therefore she has a British accent. Exactly. It's genetic. It's genetic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I was not suspicious during Star Wars, but now that this movie's come out where the second time her opposite number was also British and got to do an American accent, I'm now starting to think that the flaw is in Daisy. I'm looking through. I want to see if she if she had an American accent. It's like a... No, she has not. It's... It was a Kevin Costner and Robin Hood or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the fact that oh, fucking Christian Slater has a British accent yes. in the movie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Every fucking time. I like. Oh, it's it hello, people of Nottingham. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the Maid Marion? Maid Marion, where are you? 
Well, I mean, I would be eager to find out if she could do an American accent, but I think all of her next characters are British. So <laughs> it's on purpose. I don't think hey, she's you know going to show us anytime soon. You know what? As they say, the proof is in the pud. The pud. In the pud. Yeah. Um, Daisy, we've got this great role for you. Go on. It's in this awesome sci-fi movie. Uh-huh. And she is an American. I'll mm, stop you no. there. Can't do stop it. You so I can't do that. Uh, but if you can get somebody else, preferably a male, to play the American, I can, I can play British. a British version. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, poor Tom Holland. Just let the man use his accent. Right. <laughs> He's so good at it, though. Oh well. I want to. I want to see uh, Cherry. You guys see the trailer for that? No. It's the new. It's the Russo brothers movie. Mm. Their first movie since Endgame, and he is. Uh, it's based on a true story. I think he's like a military. A former vet and he's like turns into a terrorist or something i don't know okay. oh. uh, it looks heavy while we're talking about uh, tom holland and daisy ridley uh, so one of the reasons this movie got delayed so long because this was supposed to come out in 2019 is um they had to do reshoots but to do those reshoots they had to wait for the actors to be available mm -hmm. daisy ridley's uh you know, tied to Star Wars so heavily and Tom Holland tied to Marvel so heavily, they did not have the opportunity to do it. That is why this movie came out in 2021. Wow. It's because of all the reshoots. Because it was not well received when it first came out. Said, and I kind of buy that. I buy that. The, re the original version where Daisy Ridley has a terrible American <laughs> accent. <laughs> like we're gonna have to reshoot all of this it's completely can we, ADR, can we adr that no it's so obvious she makes a weird face like she she has an american face i don't understand um no that's that's, that's true though actually that's i've watched this like accent expert on youtube and when you do accents you have to like tighten certain parts of your face mm -hmm. and we get it like if you want to if you want to be in a British voice, you almost purse your lips like this. That was so good. You could play Daisy. No, you could. You could play Daisy Ridley in a biopic. You really could. Hello, it's Daisy Ridley here. <laughs> uh, it's Daisy Ellen DeGeneres. Benjamin Young. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, daytime personality, Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> um, no. Uh, oh, man. I don't know. Um, biopic. So Sorry. At, at this point, I'm gonna. We're going to go right into good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, but I just want to say that I'm actually kind of glad this movie exists, and I'm actually glad that I watched it. That sounds like your good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. You could just start. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go into it. Um, I think this was good sci-fi. I think this brings to the forefront a topic that is you know, constantly brought up, but I think it, it displays it in a very positive way. We actually see the struggle with young men having to uh, deal with masculinity and the, the whole be a man, be a man, be a man. His thought always went to be a man, uh, but it's never what kind of man or what is a good man. You know, he doesn't understand that. Just strength is what masculinity is, is in his head. Um, so I think that was really good. And he understands that it's not about how strong you are, it's just about how you appropriately deal with situations. I think that um, is appropriate for when we're talking about masculinity, which I think at the end of the day, that's what it was about. 
uh, I guess the emotional maturity to deal with situations is what masculinity is should be about, and not about how strong you are. Um, so I'm going to say good sci-fi, and the movie could have been better, but honestly, all things considered, I think they did the best with what they had. So there's my take. Ben, what did you think? Yeah, a uh, perfect movie? No, absolutely not. Uh, it's it's writing is is juvenile at times. Uh, its plot is is weak and can be broken apart with a simple crack of a hammer. Uh, and there were better ways to go about it, about many scenes throughout it. However, uh, I I laughed. I nearly cried. I uh, found myself enjoying it. And every time I was like, I'm a little bored with what's going on right now, they changed, they moved on. And I, I love that about movies because the moment, it's like it's like reading my mind. I'm like, okay, well, this is clearly market tested because I'm getting bored right this second and they move on. Um but most importantly, like Colin says, it uses its sci-fi aspects in an original way to tell an interesting, to talk about an interesting perspective on humanity, specifically, as we've said, toxic masculinity, uh, a concept that isn't touched upon much in Hollywood uh, at the moment. Um, but most importantly, the key word here is, is honestly, and I know it comes from a book, but it's original. It was different. You know, the concept of men who are always shouting their thoughts at the top of their head, it makes me think about what what I would be in that kind of situation. What kind of my surface thoughts would just be getting shouted in that in that moment? And it really, you know, it does. That's what good sci-fi should do. So absolutely good sci-fi. All right. Thank you, Ben. Bill. Uh, yeah, I thought I mean, OK. Just to be totally honest, I thought it was really cool the discussion that we had, but I still think it's okay sci-fi. I don't think that um, it hit me very hard with anything. Um, maybe that's on my fault for bringing whatever I had in with me to the theater, um, specifically cookies. But I, um, <laughs> I, I just thought it was okay sci-fi, and I, I feel like the flaws kind of just took me out of the movie a lot. Um, I mean, there were really, really cool character moments with like Aaron, but at the at the end of the day, I don't think that the message was entirely obvious to me in the way that you know, like an AI story might be, you know, or like uh, or you know, like anything to do with uh, mortality. So it wasn't really that that hard, you know, like mortality and existence and and thought, but like. Yeah, I thought I thought it was cool. I thought there were there were cool points in there, and I thought it was okay. It was okay, sorry. All right, thank you, Bill. Um, well, there you have it, folks. That is. Oh fuck! I just forgot a point I wanted to bring up, but I guess I can never do it now because we're moving just on. Just say it quickly. Why not? What about the fucking spackle, man? Yeah, right. No, uh, what was what that? What about the natives? Open, like open for sequel? They... <laughs> oh God! But it's like. It, what happened with that? Like definitely open for sequel. Look at the fight in the water, and then like he just gets up, he sees Daisy Ridley, and he's just like, "Ain't fucking with that." Oh <laughs> fuck! I, well, and then that, so it's it's over. Well, it's also and he like walks away. He doesn't just like run away. He just like gets up and just walks away casually. I'm like, what just happened here? And then the spackle were never a fucking thing the rest of the movie. Well, I think that, um, okay, so just real quick, real quick. I think that the spackle 
were a way of the men of town projecting their shame onto something else and just creating a villain out of somebody else rather than themselves. Yeah. But also we just have like these native peoples that were used and abused and killed and damaged by the, you know, the colonists. And that was never anything. Like, it just went away. Right. There was no resolution to that. No. Kind of disappointed in that aspect, but uh, okay. Yeah, bad sci-fi now. Sorry. Bad sci-fi. I changed yeah. my mind. Bad sci-fi. Awful <laughs> fucking sci-fi. Kurt I gotta tell you, I, uh, I'm looking through the synopses of these books to see, like, oh, well, maybe they'll go to the ne- the sequel, the second book for the sequel. Um, oh, y'all... <laughs> This shit's dark, man. This is a dark fucking book series. And I don't want to read them because they'll make me sad and I don't like that. Uh, but it, it, and, and really quick, since Colin said something really quick, I want to say something really quick because I forgot to mention. Uh, young adult book series for for like Gen Z is where it's fucking at. And I said it a million years ago back with Hunger Games. I said... These kinds of stories are training these kids to be fucking militant when it comes to their government. And we're going to see something come from, come of it. And sure enough, I was right. And we see these Gen Zers out in the streets being like, fuck you, all of last year. And I love them. I, I, this isn't a criticism of it. I, I fucking love these kids. And you can thank young adult fiction for how fucking angry um, they are. Uh, and a bad government, of course. As a person that interacts with Gen Z on a daily basis, they're not nearly as militant as you think they are. <laughs> uh, they're very. Right, they're this isn't. Ve- a, this isn't hey, to criticize. Sh- I, I don't I'm want sorry, to criticize. I'm just Gen saying Z. they're very consumed with content creators. They are. Oh, just that's like, bullshit. They just like drool You're- off the side of their mouth and go glossy eyed when they watch YouTube. The Other Gen Zers that-, that you associate with, that may be the case. However, many of them are going are pushing our country forward. Oh yes, not you yet. better watch not your. Yet. They, not yet though. If they hear you, they will not eat you. So yet, though. be careful. Reality has to slap them in the face before they can slap back. Just give them. Okay, a you know Gen Z is like most like Gen Zers are like twenty two now. Also, right? You know that. Uh, that's fair. What am I dealing with then? You're still just dealing with Gen Z. It's just the oh, later half of it. I'm dealing with the half that has not had life slap in the face yet okay fair enough uh so next week (laughs) (laughs) yes we are finally fucking covering cowboy bebop and honestly i don't understand why we have not covered cowboy bebop yet on this podcast we've been busy we've done like 100 times less sci-fi related things than cowboy bebop so contagion was for the theme Contagion was for the theme, and uh, the Invisible Man was for the uh, how recent will, it was, and we just I will fight you. Invisible Man is one hundred percent sci-fi just, movie. Ben just wants to do anything other than sci-fi sometimes, so we did Invisible, Invisible Man. Invisible Man sci-fi. It was casually sci-fi. It is about a suit that turns invisible and a man torturing a woman with it. That is about as sci-fi as it comes. What I would call it is hard sci-fi, where it only uses the genre as much as it needs to. The good kind of sci-fi. hard sci-fi. Okay. All right. Um, That's neither here nor there. Next week, though, we're going to cover Cowboy Bebop. 
Uh, for those of you who have not seen Cowboy Bebop yet and are interested in seeing it before listening to this, move your ass because there's like 20, what, six episodes? Yeah, they're like 20 minutes each, right? Yeah, so, so you're you're so. roughly looking at, you know, 13 hours of your life. Get on it. It's really fucking cool. It's an awesome series. And don't forget, in three weeks, we were covering Snowpiercer Season 2, so get yeah. on that shit. Yep, this is, if you're not ready for Snowpiercer Season 2, a.k.a. Uh, it's just the Sean Bean fuckfest that we're about to have, um, you need to get on it now, because we're going we're to have a good time. I'm excited, man. The first season was great. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it, especially after the last time we covered it. Definitely looking mm-hmm. forward to it. And then, ooh, you know, I'm just going to give you uh, the next couple weeks here. Uh, on the- Don't tell them our 100th episode. <sighs> Not yet. On the 23rd, we're doing Equilibrium, also way overdue. That'll For be fun. For Miller's birthday. That'll be fun. I think everybody here has a lot to say about that movie. And then uh, going back into the past, man, we nope, get into April. The, nope. On the April 6th. 6th is our 100th episode. Mm, Can't tell them yet. Must be fun. Okay. All right. Anyways, folks, that's all we got for you. Until next time.